I'd like to talk with you today about that area in your life where you would like to do the right thing, you want to follow Jesus, but you, you keep stumbling. You keep finding yourself inadequate, incapable, unable. And, and there's this issue in your life. It, it could be pornography, or it could just be loving your spouse the way you're supposed to, or raising your child the way that you know God is calling you to. Uh, maybe it's smoking, or maybe it's just something like gossiping about other people. Or maybe it's something that God has called you to, like telling a neighbor about Jesus. There's, there's an area in your life where you know, yeah, I know God wants me to do this, and you keep failing, and, and as a result, you, you have this false sense of shame and guilt. And the enemy, the deceiver who, who deals in shame, he comes to you and he says, you should just give up. You're not good at this following Jesus stuff. If you have an area in your life like that, that's what we are talking about today. I grew up skiing and snowboarding in the winters. And when you start off learning how to ski or snowboard, you start on a hill that they call the bunny hill. Uh, it's, it's a little green, they call it a green circle. It's a little slope. And here's how you get up the bunny hill. Instead of getting on a big chairlift like you'd have for a big mountain in Colorado, for the bunny hill, you use a tow rope. And a tow rope is exactly that. It's just this giant rope that's on a motor, and it just goes uh, up the hill. And so you have to, on your skis or snowboard, kind of get stable, lean down, grab the rope. And then once you grab it, it, it yanks you, right? And you fall down the first few times. And, and then you get going. And once you get going a little ways, then you fall down because there's these ruts where, especially on a snowboard, you kind of have to go back and forth as, as it's pulling you up, you know, to keep your balance. You kind of have to sway. And as people keep doing that, it gets these ruts in it. Well, a tow rope, when you're going up a bunny hill, is the only way up the hill. Even if you're like a, a master Olympic-level skier or snowboarder, you cannot ski up the hill. That's why they call it downhill skiing, I guess, right? You, you need the tow rope to get you up. And it's kind of an art to learn how to grab onto that thing and balance and, and get pulled up to the top. Well, here's our big idea in Jesus' words to us today. Let your work be this. Staying connected to Christ. Let that be your work, and he'll produce in you that thing that you're trying to do and you keep falling down at. You're trying to push yourself up the hill, and there's no one who's good enough to do that. So let your work, instead of being to get this area of your life fixed, change your outlook. Let your work be to be connected to Christ to hang on to him, he will pull you up where you could never propel yourself. We know this for our salvation, right? We know that we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. We know that when it comes to God's righteousness, if it were a mountain and our sin that we're lost in, there's no way that we could work ourselves to the top. This is why Jesus came with a message that he calls good news. That when we were lost in our sins and we could never get to God in our own strength, he came down to us. And he pretty much installed a tow rope, right? And he said, whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, I will give you righteousness. 
We know this, many of us, for our salvation, and if you don't, I hope it's a breath of fresh air for you, had a gal who was raised Catholic who recently came up and said, uh, this idea is so new to me that we don't earn our way to God. And I said, well, just keep coming and keep soaking in it because this is the message of grace. This is the good news that God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. And we know that, many of us, for our salvation, But what Jesus is telling us in our text today, in John 15, is that it's the same for what theologians call our sanctification. In other words, not only are you saved by grace alone through faith alone, but you also grow in Christ by grace alone through faith alone. So do you want to be a better soul winner? Do you want to be better at sharing your faith? Well, well, we can give you some classes and other things, but you know what's really going to empower you? If you cling to Christ. And if you ask him, Lord, make me an evangelist. Make me someone who tells others about you. And you grab onto him, and he'll take you up where you could never go. You have a sin struggle in your life. And if you just keep trying to do it in your own strength, you're going to find yourself like a skier trying to push yourself up the hill, and it's not going to work. But it can work if you kind of let go of your poles, let go of trying to push yourself, and cling to Christ at a heart level. Say, God, I know I could never do this on my own. I'm going to make my work being near to you, staying connected to you, and I'll trust you to produce great things through me. What a contrast to all the religions of the world. What a contrast to the Jehovah's Witnesses. What a contrast to Islam. And so many other religions that say, work harder, be better, do more. And as you do, they continue to layer on the shame and you're never good enough. And God is this removed, angry, distant father who's never happy, who's always disappointed. Jesus is going to give us such a different picture today. He's going to say, because of Christ and what he has done on the cross, if you're in him and if you trust in him, you have a father who is pushing you along, cheering you along, who wants to see you grow, who wants to see great things in your life that you could never do on your own. And Jesus is going to give us this metaphor. He calls it fruit, like a fruit tree or like a grape vine produces fruit. Jesus is going to say, apart from me, just like you can't with all your will grow a grape out of your elbow, you also can't bear spiritual fruit apart from me. You just can't. It's like trying to ski uphill. You're powerless to do it without me, but with me, you're powerful to do it. Well, let's look at our text here in John chapter 15. And let's start actually in verse 31 of chapter 14, because it's going to give us some context. If you've been following along with us in this I Am series, we're going through Jesus' I Am statements. And at this point, we are in the upper room. Remember the Last Supper, the night before Jesus died on the cross, when he tells the disciples, this is my body broken for you? Well, that's what's going on while Jesus was talking in chapter 14. And if we just jump right into chapter 15, we could miss something really neat. It's the final verse of chapter 14, where Jesus at the end says, come now, let us leave. So we know exactly on a map where the disciples are. They're in the upper room in Jerusalem. 
the night before Jesus dies. It's the week of Passover. It's a big Jewish festival. The city is packed with people. It's like Super Bowl week for the Israelite people. And Jesus at this point says, come, let's go. Where are they going to go? They're going to take a walk to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where Jesus is going to agonize before the Father, where he's going to willingly choose to go to the cross to bear the penalty for my sins and for your sins. You know that Jesus wasn't forced to do that? He willfully took your punishment. He willfully took my punishment because he loves you so much, because he loves you and he wants you to have eternal life with God. So on this walk, and, and, and different Bible scholars, you know, debate what was the exact route or route that Jesus and the disciples took from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. And some say, you know, they went through the temple and there's these temple doors and, and there's grapes carved on those temple doors. So that's why he's talking about the vine. And others, I, I personally, I think with how busy the city was and how many religious rulers were looking to, to catch Jesus, I don't think he would have gone right through the temple. But anyhow, that's all conjecture. Okay, let's get into the text. Here's one other thing. If you want to put a little footnote in your Bible next to 15 verse 1 or 1431, and the footnote is this, Matthew 26 verse 35. In Matthew's account, we're told that after Jesus, he's washed the disciples' feet. He's still got the dirt under his fingernails, probably. And, and he's told everyone, one of you is going to betray me. And, and, and Judas says, Lord, is it I? And he says, it is as you have said. And Judas leaves. There's now 11 disciples. And, and right before they leave the room, right before the come now let us leave in John, Matthew tells us that after Judas leaves... Peter tells the disciples, you're all going to scatter. Or Jesus tells that to the disciples. And Peter says, no, 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 Lord, not me. I will never fail you. Lord, I have enough righteousness. I'm such a good person. I can propel myself up the mountain, right? I can follow you no matter what. And remember what Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me three times. Peter leaves the upper room sure that he can follow Jesus in his own strength. Has that ever been you? It's been me. Lord, I know I can do it. I'm so excited in this mountaintop experience. I can totally follow you in my strength. So on the heels of that, Jesus is going to say this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. They're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. Now, we don't have time. I, I would love to unpack this into like a seven-part series. <laughs> if you guys, you guys want to stay till midnight, anyone? <laughs> but let's just look at a few things here as we go through our text, and then we're going to pull out some real principles you can take with you. First, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, Do you realize that Jesus has always been the true vine? Just like he's always been the resurrection and the life, he's always been the bread of life, he's always been the way and the truth and the life. From eternity past, Jesus has been the vine, that is the root, the source from which all other good things grow. And in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 5 is one example. God says over and over that his people, then just the Israelites, that they were like a branch off of this vine. And before we we keep going, we need to realize, you know, Jesus, who was present at creation, 
who John chapter 1 tells us did create, who Colossians 1, 15 through 17 tell us that he holds all things together. Nothing was created without him. Jesus isn't like becoming the vine now. He always has been this true vine. And God's people are like branches that grow off of the vine. They're like offshoots. And today, off of the branch of the church, you get all these other branches, right? Like you've got the Baptists and the Charismatics and some Lutherans and some Presbyterians, right? And there's all these other branches. And, you know, in in cooler climates where you get a lot of rain, you get huge vines. I don't see a lot of them in Arizona. But sometimes a vine network can be so big that it, it takes you a long time to find where actually are the roots to this thing. Sometimes a vine will crawl up a wall and it'll go over the wall and it'll just keep spreading and spreading. And the actual roots to this huge vine that you see might be on the other side of a brick wall. And God describes Old and New Testament himself as the vine and his people who trust him and follow him as these branches that shoot off. And his desire for us is not merely to be decorative, but to be branches that bear fruit. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Now, this is a really interesting word in the Greek language. It's the word kathairo. And if you've ever heard the word catharsis, that's where the word catharsis comes from, is this word to prune, which also means to clean. Sometimes in ancient times, it was just used to wash something. And there's times when gardeners do that. If the leaves get too much dirt on them, they can't absorb the sunlight like they need. So there's times when a a gardener actually washes. But if you watch a really skilled gardener who's been doing it for years and years, and they've got a big vine, and it's kind of overgrown, they're going to go in there, and they're just going to, almost subconsciously, they're just going to start pulling off leaves and and just cleaning it up. Why? Well, because those dead leaves, those old leaves, the leaves on the branch that isn't bearing fruit, they're blocking the sunlight from the branch underneath it that wants to bear fruit. So the gardener goes through and and just trims, pulls off some leaves, maybe washes with water. Uh, In fact, when we keep reading, and Jesus is going to say to the disciples, you're already clean, it's the same word, the same word, kathira. You've already been pruned. You've already been washed. Of course, it's always interesting that it's the branches that bear fruit that God prunes. When you really set out to start following Christ, you're going to see some things ripped away from you in your life. And it will hurt, but it will be worth it. It will be good. Keep trusting that the gardener, the gardener is, does not exist to terrorize the vine. Gardener does not exist to send pain into the life of the vine. The gardener loves the vine. He loves every branch. He wants to see it bear fruit. And that is how your heavenly father feels about you. That's a principle that we'll write on our outlines here. God wants to nurture, care for, and feed me. Why? So that I have a fruitful life. Does fruitful life mean you'll move to Beverly Hills and have a Rolls Royce and a Bentley? Probably not. It's fruitful by God's standard, which when we get to the end of life and look back, we will be so thankful for. And in fact, in the process is really awesome too. But it is our choice. Jesus over and over is going to use this 
this word remain or abide. It's our choice if we want to remain in Christ, abide in Christ so that he can bear fruit through us. So when the good gardener prunes something away in your life, know that he's loving, know that he's looking out for you, know that he has your best interest in mind even more than you do. In fact, a gardener at this time even would would protect the plants. If you've ever had a garden, you know around this this part of the world that you get javelina and other animals who are happy to come and eat the fruit of your labor. And so you have to protect what is yours. And, And your heavenly father, who is the gardener, his hands are loving when he takes things away. He's protecting you. He is looking out for you. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. You, the disciples, are already clean. Same word there as pruned. Because of the word I have spoken to you. And there's a little principle there. God's word purifies us. God's word cleans us. God's word, we'll see later, allows us to kind of self-prune. <laughs> when we're in his word, we see a branch in our lives that's taking up a whole bunch of energy and not bearing fruit, and we're able to just lop it off ourselves, or we can wait and he can do it either way. Verses 5 and 6. Oh, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, right? That's what we're talking about with the, the skiing tow rope analogy. You cannot ski uphill by yourself. So Christ says, just remain in me, and because I'm in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I thought about bringing a big old branch in here this morning that's not connected to a tree. How much would you expect that branch to grow a leaf, to grow an apple, to grow a pear? Jesus says, just like a branch that is severed from the tree or the vine can't produce fruit and leaves, in the same way, when you're not connected to me, all your efforts, they're not going to produce. So make your work be staying connected to me. Verses 5 and 6, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'll take just a moment to encourage you, if you're a Bible writer, to underline that word, nothing. I want to meditate on that word together. Because if you're like me, your pride does a little Bible translating as you read this verse. And your pride, my pride, reads the verse this way. Apart from me, you cannot do as much as you would do on your own. Or, apart from me, what you do on your own will be not quite as good. We tend to read it, apart from me, you can only do some good things. And if we're honest with ourselves, we assume that when I'm not abiding in Christ, when I'm not remaining in Him, I can rush off and do good things in my own strength. And yeah, it won't be the same kind of fruit, but there will still be some fruit. It might not be as, as supernatural or dynamic, but if I just go off and do it in my own strength, it'll at least be something. Why? Because it's my thing. I mean, I worked at it. Of course it's going to be kind of good, right? Wrong, Jesus says. Jesus is not saying when you're apart from me, you bear less fruit or low-quality fruit. He's clearly saying, apart from me, you bear No fruit. When you 
live a lifestyle where you're not really connected to me, where other things are between you and me, you will bear no fruit. So there's two halves to this key teaching. First, unless you remain in Christ, if you don't, uh, unless you abide in Christ and drink nourishment from Him, you cannot produce any meaningful, eternal fruit through all your labors. Like the psalmist wrote hundreds of years before Jesus spoke this, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Get all your hammers and nails, you can work as hard as you want. Unless God's doing it, it doesn't matter. Here's the flip side, the positive side of the same truth. When we abide in Christ, when we remain in Christ, when we stay connected to Him, when we daily draw strength from Him, it is promised, it is guaranteed that He will bear fruit through us. Our education doesn't matter. Our flaws don't matter. Our background doesn't matter. Our pains don't matter. The way that we stumble and fall doesn't matter. If we abide in him, he will bear fruit through us. Paul put it this way in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Apart from Christ, I can do no good thing. With Christ, when I'm connected to him, I can do every good thing. Why? Because he's the one doing it through me. He's the power source. I mean, that's how it works with a vine. They've got these roots that go way down in the ground, and they're drawing water, they're drawing nutrients from the soil, and they're sending sap up through the vine to the branch. And it's that sap that is the life of the branch. And if the branch is severed, it just can't bear fruit. It can't grow leaves. And Jesus says it's the same way with us. So make your work aligning with his power. Make your work to daily align your will and your desires to his will and his desires. Make your work to surrender to him and he'll produce in you and through you the peace that you seek, that good thing that you want, but you you just keep failing on your own in your marriage or in that habit. Make your work staying close to Christ. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, you are like a branch. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. The gardener has to prune off those branches. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Verses seven and eight, if you remain in me, And my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And when you bear much fruit, it shows that you're my disciples. Again, you see the Father there, the gardener. He's not, you know, just pointing down from heaven, waiting for you to fail, hoping for you to mess up. He's present with you, grooming and working to help you bear fruit. But we are vines with wills, right? We're branches with wills. And we can choose. Do we want God to do his work in our lives? Do we want to be connected to the vine? Verses 9 and 10, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. There's this theme, love obeys. Love obeys. We can pull that theme out and do a whole message on it. You'll see that theme in verses 10, 12, 14, and 17. But let's keep reading in verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Okay? Grabbing onto the tow rope, abiding in Christ, making your work to be connected to him. It is not depressing. It is full of joy. Now, trying to ski up the mountain on your own strength, that's depressing. That, that is really depressing. But when you abide in Christ, you, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. You grab onto the tow rope, you abide in him, you go up a ways and, and you fall. We all fall. But you just get back up and you grab back on. And he keeps taking you where you could never take yourself. But sometimes we get off the tow rope and we just keep trying to push ourselves up the mountain. This, Jesus is saying, what I'm teaching you here, this is for your joy. Your life will be joyful when you let me do the hard work and you make your work staying close to me. My command is this, verse 12, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. Verses 14 and 15, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. The disciples at this point believe that Jesus is God among them. And this idea of God who has called himself a father, a redeemer, and all of these mighty strong pictures, this idea was brand new that God also is a friend for all who've trusted in Christ. A friend. Verses 16 and 17, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Fruit that will remain, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. It's an interesting end of verse 17. Well, it's an interesting beginning of verse 16 too. You know, Jesus chose the disciples. He said, come follow me. And they probably knew when he said that, that, that they remembered that. They remembered the day that they were fishing and Jesus said, drop your nets and follow me. Yeah, Jesus, of course you chose us. We remember. And then they had to choose back, right? They had to decide if they were going to drop their nets or not. It's the same with our salvation. God calls out to us, he offers the gospel to us, and we decide, am I going to receive this free gift of salvation or not? But notice the end, this is my command, love each other. Have you ever met a Christian who takes God's word really seriously, but acts like this was a request and not a command? I mean, let's just take a minute to look at these words. This is my command, love each other. Are there some believers in your life who you are perpetually griping about, unloving toward in your heart? 
Jesus says, this is my command. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do me a favor and love each other as Christians. Commanding you. And you know what? It's hard because there's some, there's some pretty messed up Christians among us, right? I'm number one of them. Christians can be hard to love. And so just like all those other things, we don't do it by trying to ski up the hill. We abide in Christ. We say, God, I don't have love for that person in my heart. Will you fill me with your love for that person? And Jesus says, because I'm the vine, I love every branch that's on me. And if you're abiding in me, you're going to love my people. Even when they bite, even when they smell, even when they stab you in the back, you're going to love them. Well, there's so much more in this chapter. Jesus is going to warn in verses 18 through 25 about the times when the world hates you for following him. In verses 26 and 27, he's going to talk again about the promised Holy Spirit, who he introduced in chapter 14, and he'll talk more about the Holy Spirit in chapter 16. But let's narrow in on two themes here, and the first is the theme of fruit. Jesus uses the words fruit and fruitful nine times in these 17 verses. So here's what we're talking about first. What we miss out on when we're too busy, too anxious, too self-dependent, to abide in Christ. In other words, we're just going to do a flyover of some of the fruit that Jesus does describe in this chapter. He keeps saying, Remind in me, remain in me and you'll bear much fruit. Well, what, what kind of things is he talking about? So I want to just give you guys an overview. And I don't think that it is an exhaustive list. There's this really neat verse in Revelation. It's talking about the new heaven and the new earth. There's this river of life that runs down the middle of the main street in heaven. And there's a tree of life there. And the tree of life has 12 different kinds of fruit. Each month, it's always producing, and it's a different fruit. Wouldn't that be, won't that be so cool when we're there? It's like, oh man, more applesauce. It must be apple month, right? But this tree, this one tree produces all these different kinds of fruits And it's the same way for us as believers. Last week, we got a little bit into the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Those would be included in this flyover of fruits. But let's just look at a few of them. Funny story really quick. We were at a um, little house that we were renting on vacation once, and they had this basket of plastic fruit. And Jack was about two at the time. And Jack really likes fruits and vegetables. And he kept thinking that they were real. <laughs> and he, he kept going for them. We finally had to just set them up and put them on the mantle of the fireplace because he would just not stop trying to eat this fake manufactured fruit. And we can do that in our Christian lives. You know, we don't have the power to ski up the hill, but we're pretty good at making all the other people around us think that we are putting on a plastic front, manufacture some Christian-looking conduct on the outside, but inside, heart's not in it. Jesus says the only way to actually get your heart up that hill is to abide in me. Make your work being close to me. And when you do, these are the kind of things that I'll do through you. First, answered prayers. How much answered prayer do you have in your life? It's not in the Bible that you have to do this. It's just something I do, but I keep a prayer journal where I date items. 
so you can go back and look. And I've mentioned before that God's timeline, unfortunately, is usually different from mine. But it's really fun because sometimes I'll look back and be like, wow, three years ago I was praying for this and I even forgot that I was praying for it and now God just answered it. There's other times where the answer is that it's not what I thought I wanted. And after a few months or a year, you look back and you think, wow, thank you, Lord, for answering that prayer in the negative because that is what I needed and that's what your kingdom needed. Do you have answered prayers in your life? If not, hug up closer to the vine. If not, the solution isn't a six-step prayer routine. It's to abide in Christ. It's to get closer to Christ. Here's another fruit, a life that impacts the world around you for God. Now, this idea is from the Old Testament. This idea is most likely what would have been going through the disciples' minds when Jesus started talking about this. Why? Because of passages like Isaiah 5, where God says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And at that time, the vineyard was not bearing fruit. He looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. God talks in the Old Testament about this idea like he planted his people in the world to go out and bear fruit to tell the nations about him. And, and, and so this is likely what the disciples would have had in mind, passages like this. It makes me wonder, is your life impacting the world around you? If you died today, would there be some empty places in the kingdom of God, in God's kingdom work in Prescott? If all of a sudden you were removed... Would, would there be some shoes for someone to fill? Would the, the people where you frequent restaurants and in your neighborhood, would it just be like, oh, yep, so-and-so died? Or would it be like, wow, it's, you know, that, that person, you know, there was an impact from that person and now it's gone. You can't work that up on your own. You can't decide, I'm going to be a person who really makes an impact, at least not an eternal impact, what you do is, is you hug close to Christ and you follow him when he tells you to take a dinner to your neighbors or you follow him when he tells you to step out and serve in the nursery. You just, you just follow him and then your life does make an impact. He bears the fruit through you. Here's another one, invincible joy in God. Remember Jesus said, I'm telling you all this so that your joy... My joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. A full joy. I wrote this down over the weekend. I was thinking a lot about this idea of inward peace versus outward peace. When you have inner peace, no outer circumstance can rob it. But when you lack inner peace, no circumstance can give it. I mean, you can see people, you can go to like the finest resorts around and you'll see people who are miserable. They pull up in their Maserati and the valet takes the car and they're miserable. I, I know, I, I lived in that area for like five years while I was a journalist. When you, when you don't have inner peace, no outer thing can give it to you. And when you do have inner peace, no outer circumstance can rob it from you. So Jesus says, he's about to tell the disciples, uh, you know, I'm going away. Things are going to get hard. But I, as long as you stay close to me, 
I'll fill you with a joy that's complete, with an inner peace that your circumstances can't touch. Do you have that? And if not, the solution is to abide in Christ. Here's another fruit. Others who hear the good news of Christ. In verse 27, Jesus says, you will testify. Just like those baptisms Friday night where Jeff testified to Austin and Austin testified to two other guys. So now there's three people who know Christ because of one person who has this fruit in his life. So do we all need to, to go to Jeff and get lessons about how to testify to Christ? Well, that's, that'd be fine, okay? But what we really need is to abide in Christ, to make our work being close to him so that he bears that fruit through us just like he did through Jeff. Others who hear the good news of Christ. Here's another fruit, self-sacrificing love in relationship with others. Jesus says this one over and over, over and over, a love that lays down its life for another. That's one of the fruits that result from abiding in Christ. And I've heard some neat stories about this throughout the last week. Even one of uh, two retirees here who one is unable to, to wash her dog physically and another one who just goes over to her house once a month and helps her wash her dog and they hang out. And as he was telling me the story, I was almost crying because it's like, this is, this is love. This is what believers do. It's simple things. It's practical things where believers help each other out. That's a fruit of being near Christ. I wonder in your relationships, do you do most of the talking or most of the listening? Now, some of us have the spiritual gift of talking, right? But... Do you self-sacrifice ever? Are you the spouse who always gets their way? The parent who always gets their way? Do you have a love that lays down your life for others? If not, hug up close to Christ. He's full of that kind of love. He'll fill you with that kind of love. So here's our principle. When we're lacking these fruits, and there are more, okay, but that's a flyby. When we're lacking these fruits in our lives, the solution is not to attempt to produce manufactured fruit, not to attempt to uphill ski. It's to hug up next to the vine. He produces the fruit. When I'm exhausted, the solution is not always to work harder. Solution is always to lean into Christ harder. So I'm going to give you guys some ways to do this, what it looks like to abide in Christ so that he bears fruit. Now, because of our backgrounds and the way we're wired, we can tend to think, well, this is a formula. I do these things and then I can ski up the hill. Okay, this is not a formula for you to create your own fruit. These are like those ruts. When you hang onto the tow rope and there's these ruts that go back and forth, these are the ruts. You'll find yourself doing these things when you abide in Christ. And sometimes if you're not seeing yourself do these things, it probably means you're far away from the tow rope, okay? And here's the first one. Stay connected in place. Soak in God's word for the purpose of connecting with Christ it will wash away those things in your life that disconnect you from him. Now, I'm not going to bore you guys, but this Greek verb remain has three dimensions. 
you can remain in a place just like you've been remaining in your chair. Thank you very much for our time together. You can remain in a relationship as in they're still together. They're still married. You remain in a relationship. You can remain in a place and you can also remain in time, which has this idea of kind of enduring, hanging in there. And and it's interesting that that Greek verb has these three dimensions because Jesus really covers all of them in the way that he uses this idea of us remaining in him. So, So do you soak in God's word? Nothing wrong with a workbook. And I like to write down what I'm learning from God's Word. But, but do you soak in His Word not just to fill out a thing or check off a list, but for the purpose of connecting with Christ? God, as I open your Word today, I, I wish I had gotten up earlier and had more time before I have to get to work. But in the time that's here, I want to connect to you. Jesus says, you're, you're cleaned, you're, you've been pruned, you're washed because of my Word. In verse 3. Here's the principle. God's word informs me where to self-prune. I don't know how many of you actually have ever pruned a plant. Our backyard where I grew up in Michigan, we had these huge grapevines. And they were mostly huge because they were just totally neglected for most of my childhood. In fact, I remember every time I'd mow the lawn, we'd just mow right up to the thing and there'd be branches down there, you know, just... This grapevine, but but every year it would kind of give us grapes, and my mom would can them and make grape juice. But one year, my dad did prune it, and after he got done, I was sure that it was dead. I mean, the thing looked like there was no life left in it. And that year, that next year, he did that in the fall at the end of the summer. That next spring, we got the most grapes we'd ever had, and the most delicious grapes we'd ever had. Remember how Jesus started the chapter? My, my father's the gardener, and the branch that does bear fruit, that's you if you're here, hopefully. He prunes it. And then Jesus said, you're already pruned because of the words I've spoken to you. So there's this principle. We can get into God's word. And as we're reading God's word, we realize, wow, I should sell that thing. Wow, I should not be talking to that coworker of the opposite sex so much. Wow, I should not be watching that show. Wow, I should be whatever, in a home group or serving. I mean, it's, it's, it's the spirit through the word of God. He shows us and we kind of self-prune. You can, if you haven't started, it's, it's a great way. I always prefer to cut a limb off myself as opposed to um, having it done from above. But, but the Father prunes us, and, and when we're in his word, by his spirit, we can self-prune. And again, this isn't, I'm going to do all these things so that I can ski to the top of the hill. It's, I opened God's word to connect with him. I'm pouring out my heart to him, and his spirit says, keeps bringing this thing up. God, why do you keep bringing that thing up? Oh, I see, it's kind of like, Splitting me away from you, isn't it? All right, I'll give that thing up. And you know, it's kind of like the clay thing. You can be soft clay in God's hands by choosing to submit your will, or you can be hard clay. You know what a potter does with hard clay? They just shatter it on the ground, and they, they, then they re-soften it, put it back in with all the other clay. So, so it's like, you know, sometimes there's a thing in our life where we just keep holding out 
But daily we can just get in God's word and say, God, I surrender. Take whatever you want. It's all yours. Make me who you want me to be. Here's another principle or another truth for us. Don't rush off. As I kept reading the different lexicons and things about what this Greek verb means, when you get to the time idea of it, it really is this. Don't rush off. It's a lot like when I, when I put uh, one of my kids to bed. And they're like, Dad, just, just stay here. They want me to just stay there until they fall asleep. Just don't, don't just rush off. And, and remain has this idea in it. In your relationship with God, do you, do you just rush off? Just going to rush off from here in a few minutes? Spend time in prayer. Again, not to earn your righteousness, not even to get your way, but for the purpose of connecting with Christ. I'm going to give you guys a few examples if you're nerdy like me. That first one, to stay connected in place, an example of it is in John 4, verse 40. Jesus tells the disciples, go to these towns and remain in that place. And then an example of the one we're on right now, don't rush off, is Matthew 26, verse 38, which is really interesting because it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. So it's probably minutes or maybe an hour or so after Jesus said our text today, he's going to say in Matthew 26, 38, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Stay here is this word, remain. Remain here with me in this place, in this time. I need you here with me right now at this time. Third way that we remain is to stay friends with God. That's the third dimension of remaining is friendship. A relationship, actually. Invite his presence as your daily companion. So, so I wanted to end, you know, this chapter is just so full. And I wanted to send you out of here with some really practical things. Well, okay, I want to remain in Christ. What does that look like? Well, the ruts that it looks like going up the mountain, it's a heart thing that you say, Jesus, I want to grab onto you. And I want you to take me wherever you want to take me. And as you do that, you're going to be in his word, and it's going to purify you at times. You're, you're going to be in place with him. You're going to be in prayer with him. And you're going to be in friendship with him. And the purpose of all those is just to connect your heart to Christ. You know, if you have a friend, you talk to your friends, right? I have a friend who I don't even know this guy's last name. He's another Land Cruiser guy. And I met him on like a Land Cruiser forum. And we text each other. And his name in my phone is Patrick Land Cruiser guy. Okay? I don't even know the dude's last name. But if like a couple weeks have gone by or if I see something online for sale that of course I can't afford, I text him and we talk about it. Why? Because we actually have, have a relationship. It's not a deep relationship. But I was thinking about it as I was studying this. I was like, I wonder if... Some of us as Christians talk to God about as much as I talk to Patrick Landcruiser guy. Yeah, you've got a relationship with him, but it's like just every once in a while you, you send him a text or whatever. You're not, you're not really like abiding with him. Hey, if you've got anything, awesome, okay? But my, my encouragement to you is God will do these awesome things through your life. He'll do eternal things. He'll change people around you. He'll do things that you could not do in your marriage and in your mind and in your habits. 
when you, when you hug up next to him, when you cling to him. So with that, let's, let's close today. And um, why don't you guys stand and, and we'll just pray together. And, and let's just really make it the prayer of our hearts, you know, being in God's word and praying, being around other believers. These are kind of ruts, but it's really all about our heart. Whether or not you've grabbed onto that rope is, is just totally in your heart. So let's do that together right now. Let's tell him we want to abide with him, remain in him. Lord, we are so thankful that you can do through us what we could never do for ourselves. We are so thankful, Father, that when we can't produce patience with our spouse or our children, that you can. When we can't produce self-sacrificing love in our relationships, you can. When we don't have the strength to say no to sin or to say yes to serving you, you can. And so, Lord, right now, in each of our hearts, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would show us, is there anything that's coming between us in that tow rope? Is there some, some just pet thing that keeps us away from really abiding in you? Lord, from our hearts, we declare to you right now, we want to abide in you. Jesus, we want to remain in you. Lord, we want to bear much fruit. Lord, we surrender every part of us that will be pruned. Our lives are not our own. We choose you. Lord, I just pray that the sap and the energy of your life and your love would connect to each of our hearts right now. And as we go from here, Lord, that we would not rush off, that we would continue moment by moment to draw near to you. And Lord, I I pray for each of my brothers and sisters here that as they do that, that you'll show them, that they'll get to see with their eyes the fruit that you are bearing through them. Lord, for those who are abiding in you, will you encourage us? Will you draw us closer? Lord, strengthen every fiber that connects us to you. We want to remain in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.